five, four, three, two, one. How good was that Texas-Oklahoma game a week ago? From a college football perspective, it doesn't get much better than that, folks. And when you're talking about the type of season that we've had to this point, man, Texas-Oklahoma down to the wire after a blowout a year ago. That's what you want in college football. And it was a great week last week. And we've got a monster week on tap this time around. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. The Friday, October 13th show on tap for your MLB playoffs rolling along. And you heard the highlights in the open. Whether it's Bryce Harper slugging it for Philly. Houston's pitching that's got him in the championship series in the American League for the seventh consecutive season. Or the upstart young 84-win Diamondbacks putting a bruising on the Los Angeles Dodgers, this postseason environment has something for everyone. And that's where I want to start this week. Um, you know that Philadelphia took care of Atlanta. And it was a historical season for Atlanta this time around. 104 wins during the regular season. That's impressive. You don't see that too often. From a Braves team that, as constructed from top to bottom on both sides of the ball, were as good as we've seen in a very long time. And all Philadelphia did was basically make mincemeat of them. And with the big home runs, more on that in a minute, from the likes of Bryce Harper, who you heard in the open, and of course Nick Castellanos, who had a historical season, uh, series, this Philly team is good. And they bring back experience from a team last year who went to the um, World Series before falling to the defending champion Astros. You've got Arizona getting through L.A. The Rangers, I mean, if you watch the Rangers O series, nobody was a bigger fan of the Orioles coming into the season than yours truly. I mean, even as a Yankee fan, there was no denying how good that O's team would be. And they were. They won the American League East in fairly convincing fashion. Texas goes and dominates them. Now, this is a Rangers team 
that much like Arizona, if you want to compare some teams in the postseason, there are parallels between Arizona and Texas from the way they started the season, midseason lull, midseason swoon, whatever you want to call it, and now hot at the right time. And what Texas was able to do was use pitching and timely hitting to bounce the Orioles. And then Houston takes care of a really good Twins team in four games. I was actually surprised that Houston had as easy a time as they did with the Minnesota Twins uh, this time around. But this is an Astros team that's built for the postseason. You don't have to like them. But come this time of the year, they know what they're doing. Now, before we get into the championship series, just a little house cleaning uh, duty to take care of. Max Scherzer might actually be available to pitch for the Rangers in the championship series matchup against the Astros. Now, Scherzer hasn't pitched since September, mid-September, continuing to recover from a shoulder muscle strain, which was a big deal. And it was not too far removed from Jacob deGrom going down. Manager Bruce Bochy uh, earlier in the week not ready to commit to saying that Scherzer might give it a go in the starting rotation. But the good news is this week, if you had seen it, and if you're a Ranger fan, you're living it, Scherzer threw a a session this week, um, and all things went well. So it is possible that Max Scherzer could be available to pitch in the championship series. And we've got a little bit of time. I'll run through the schedule um, coming up later in the program. So we've got some time to wait and see what happens there. Uh, as both the Rangers and the Astros get ready for an all-Texas showdown. Must be fun living in the state of Texas right now. You get the Cowboys playing uh, halfway decent football. The Longhorns are right there, even after the loss to Oklahoma a week ago. And now you got the Rangers and the Astros. Winner goes to the World Series, loser goes home. A lot going on in the state of Texas, as there usually is. Uh, Diamondbacks catcher, and this was a big one, got hit on the hand, did Gabriel Moreno, in the Game 3 victory over the Dodgers. X-rays. Luckily, negative. Now, Moreno had three home runs in that series. He put together a nice campaign for this young and upcoming and apparently now here Diamondbacks team. Um, and Moreno, he, he said Thursday he'll be ready to roll for the divisional, uh, for the divisional championship series uh, with the Phillies later in the uh, next week. And here's the thing. We're in the playoffs now. And while the focus is going to be on the four teams remaining. Fans, players, ownership groups alike, many of them have not been happy with this postseason layout. I, for one, a 12-team field, I think there's there's too much going on. I don't think there's enough emphasis on a 162-game regular season with a 12-team field. Many people agree with me, especially the old-timers. The problem that most people seem to have with this playoff format, again, which is the only the second year we're into this, as constituted now, and this began a year ago, the top two division winners in the American and National Leagues received buys into the divisional round. The, and that was the Baltimore Orioles and Houston Astros in the AL this year, and the Braves and the Dodgers in the National League. The issue with that is that that comes with a five-day layoff. Receiving the buy is great. But the five-day layoff while the wild card round is being played. So the argument that's being made and being put on the table in front of many people is, well, while you're waiting five days to play, your potential opponents are already back in the mix of things. Regular season ends. You've got that wild card round. You received the bye not playing. 
Atlanta won 104 games, sort of a reward, perhaps not. Atlanta did not look like the team they were during the regular season. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies are a very good team, but a lot of folks are not too thrilled about this postseason format. The amount of teams and that buy with the five-day layoff. The reason I bring that up is because today, for those listening live, Friday the 13th, Commissioner Rob Manfred indicated earlier that he has no plans to change the playoff format. He says, quite honestly, it's only the second go-round. And as much as I don't like the format, I can understand it from the commissioner's perspective. You're the one who got the ball rolling with this. You're the one who implemented the change to get more teams in the tournament. Maybe he wants to see this through, but how much longer? If the buy is going to be, become a problem and there's going to be gripes, he doesn't want to hear that. People have been hemming and hawing at him since he took the job. So we'll see. Manfred comes out this week, actually earlier today, and, sa- and says that there's no plan to change the format, but we will see. If the negative negativity continues to follow, maybe a response will follow suit. So here, here's what you have now. You've got the Astros, the defending World Series champions, against the Texas Rangers. If you watch this series with the Twins, won three of four to move on. They're going to the CS for the seventh straight year is Houston. They were just the superior team, going up against their former all-star shortstop, Carlos Correa, who actually said earlier in the week, Minnesota will be more prepared the next time they get a shot like this. It was a Twins team that had been used to being eliminated prior to getting to the Divisional Series. And this time they get there via the wild card round. And they get bounced in four by Houston. But you've got Jose Abreu, who was Houston's prize offseason acquisition. Hitting the ball the way Houston envisioned the day they inked him. 3-13 in the four-game series. Three home runs, eight ribbies. And maybe outside of Bryce Harper, as is anybody scarier to face this time of the year with what's at stake than Jordan Alvarez? Because when that guy's healthy during the regular season, he's a problem regardless. But it's elevated come postseason time, which is another reason the Astros have been so successful. 438 average, four homers, six ribbies in the four-game win. And you know Houston's got the depth in the bullpen. We've been talking about that for a number of seasons. Reliable rotation, which was something of a question mark coming into the year. And here they are again. Thumping the Minnesota Twins to get back to the American League Championship Series for now the seventh year in a row. They're doing it with offense and timely offense. And here they are again. Now they get a Ranger team who made a very good Baltimore Oriole team look silly. They made a very good Baltimore Oriole team look unprepared. They made a very good Baltimore Oriole team look like they are not yet ready for that moment, even after winning the American League East. And think about that accomplishment of winning the American League East. I was the guy who said at the beginning of the year, all those teams would hit their overs in in the over-under category. Obviously, I was wrong. Thank you, Yankees. But this is an Oriole team that won an American League East that includes Titans, like the Yankees and the Red Sox, a Toronto Blue Jay team that when right can score in bunches, and the Tampa Bay Rays, 
who had a legendary start to the beginning before fading off in the end, which allowed Baltimore to catch him and win the AL East crown. That's impressive baseball, which makes what Texas did to them in the previous round so unbelievably astounding. This Ranger team is now 5-0 and in the playoffs, folks. And that started, oh, by the way, with a two-game sweep of the Rays in the wildcard round. So the Texas Rangers have just run through the two best teams in the American League East and arguably coming into this playoff series, the two best teams outright in the American League, maybe in all of baseball outside of the Braves, we thought, based on the sample size of that 162-game season in which Atlanta won 104 games. Texas pounds out 21 runs in a total dismantling of Baltimore. And while you might not have had Scherzer and you haven't had DeGrom, how good has Nate Evaldi been? Was brilliant in game three in the closeout. Seven innings, one run, five hits. No walks. Seven Ks. That's huge. Second win of the playoffs. You know, I'll go here prediction-wise. Houston, Texas. Give me the Rangers. I know what Houston brings to the table this time of the year, and I respect it. Having watched the Astros pound on my beloved Yankees in the playoffs when it matters most. And I don't want to hear about the garbage can and the sign stealing and all that stuff. They beat them. I was lousy, all that stuff. That's in the past. They're in the championship round for the seventh year in a row. But give me the Texas Rangers in this series, especially if they were able to get Scherzer on the bump and he can be effective. With the way Nate Evaldi's pitching, Adolis Garcia swinging the bat from top to bottom, this Texas Ranger lineup, and they don't make mistakes in the field, this is a complete team. I think this is the Bruce Bochy team many people thought we'd see throughout the course of the season. And they went through the ups and downs like most do, and you thought Texas would fade down the stretch. Here come the Astros. Now the Mariners are knocking on the door. And all they did was hold off Seattle to get in, nearly knocked off Houston for the division crown, and now they're going to get another shot at the Astros, the Titans of the American League East, the defending MLB champions, and they're going to have a chance to do it to get themselves back in the World Series for the first time since 2012. This is going to be good stuff. This is movie-quality stuff. Astros-Rangers. In the series, I like the Rangers. We'll see how that turns out. We will obviously be continued to talk about this as the postseason rolls along, at least on this platform, every Friday night at 7 p.m. Sports Today with Peter J. That's the 7 p.m. start on the East Coast. Phillies, Diamondbacks, the defending NL champion Phillies are back in this spot once again, thanks to the bats of Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper. You know, it was Bryce Harper. We talk about Jordan Alvarez, and it's great this time of the year. Bryce Harper's done everything right in the postseason since going to Philadelphia. When he's healthy, there's nothing like it. 462 batting average in the series against the Braves. And that Braves team was one of the best teams we had seen possibly ever coming into this postseason with what they offered in the bullpen, in the rotation, and certainly in the lineup. With Riley and Austin, the way they swung the bat, MVP candidates from top to bottom, and Philadelphia made mincemeat of them. Four home runs for Nick Castellanos. He's the first player in MLB postseason history to have back-to-back games with multiple home runs. And what can you say about Aaron Nola? He's been brilliant for Philadelphia. But here comes a Diamondback team that I have loved since the start of the season. A couple of months ago, I said this Arizona team was championship good. 
from the moment I said that, all that team did was go on an eight-game losing streak. I think it's safe to say they recovered from that after not just beating the Dodgers, but sweeping them and making them look silly in the process. In my estimation, in this National League, in this um, in this entire field left, in this entire Final Four, there is not a better one-two punch than what Arizona's throwing out with Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. Across games one and two, 11 and two-thirds, seven hits, two combined earned runs, and nine Ks. And they pounded on Los Angeles in game one. 11 to two. So the D-backs are swinging the bats. you got a healthy Corbin Carroll. You know how I feel about him. I just told you about Gabriel Moreno. X-rays on the hand that he was hit going to square for a bunt. Negative, he'll be ready to roll. That's your big catcher. This is a complete Diamondbacks team. And I will be the guy that goes out on the limb and say, you know what? I like the Diamondbacks to get past the Phillies. Now that Philadelphia crowd is going to be as loud as possibly we've ever seen them. You got a first place Eagles team. Hockey's just starting. We'll talk about the at the start of the NHL and NBA seasons as these shows roll on in the next couple of weeks. But this Phillies team, who's hosting the championship series, the fan base is going to be raucous. And you saw that in their clinching game against the Atlanta Braves. I mean, Philly fans aren't just loud. They need to be boxed in. They need to be contained. They're so out of control when they're in their element. And I mean that in a positive light. So here's the rundown you're going to get. ALCS, Astros Rangers, game one on Fox. Fox and TBS will anchor the coverage here. The 15th, that's a Sunday. Game one, first pitch, 815 Houston has the home field advantage in the National League Championship Series. Arizona goes to Philly. First pitch on game one will be Monday, October 16th. TBS has that coverage, 8 o'clock Eastern time. And this is what you're going to get in both of these series. You're going to get the big power bats, the Alvarez's of the world. You'll see the veteran stars in uh, Jose Altuve, Bryce Harper, a 31-year-old Nick Castellanos who's swinging the bat as well as he ever has throughout his career. And then you'll see some of the newer guard, some of these newer players. Bryson Stott's a good young infielder for the Phillies. I've gushed over Corbin Carroll all season long as my favorite up-and-coming youngster. The up-and-coming guy's here. You're going to see some good baseball. and You know, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, not household names yet, but they should be. They're knocking on that door. And then you've got a guy like Nate Valdi who's bounced around his career. But the last couple of years, you look at his numbers, outside of any of this metrics crap, Nate Valdi's been as reliable as they come outside of stops with the Yankees. As a Red Sox, he was dominant. And here he is now with the Texas Rangers, four wins away from pitching in the World Series. So I'll give you the early prediction there. I like the Rangers to take down the Astros. And I like the Diamondbacks to upend the Phillies. I think they're going to be fun series. I would expect each series to go at least six. From a baseball fan perspective, that's what you want, isn't it? And I think you're going to see some really good baseball from, again, if you want to make comparisons here, you've got the veteran teams. 
right? You've got Houston and Philadelphia back in the championship series in their respective leagues who met in the World Series a year ago. So there's familiarity there. But then you've got the new guys to the party in the Texas Rangers to a degree and the Arizona Diamondbacks who haven't experienced this in quite some time. And again, those parallels that I bring up between the Rangers and the Diamondbacks are there. Hot starts, faded a little bit, picked it up when you needed it, and here they are. And they took down two damn good teams to get here with Texas bouncing Baltimore and Arizona just completely demolishing the Dodgers across three games. And it's another postseason failure for the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw, again, in a big spot, not looking good. Dave Roberts saying earlier in the week that he's going to own this one, and he's going to have to because we've read this book before with the Dodgers. But now you've got an opportunity for the team that beat them, this Diamondback team, to really arrive to the scene a bit earlier and cement themselves as legitimate players, if they have not already in the minds of many, moving forward. I expect them to get past the Phillies like I expect the Rangers to get past the Astros. It's going to be fun stuff, and I think we're really all in for a treat. And I'm going to give you all of my my detail, my opinions, uh, the ins and outs of the series as it continues right here every Friday like we're doing right now. Bouncing outside, head down the sideline, goes Montgomery. He's going to go in for a Lions touchdown. Burrow with time, looking deep, looking for Chase. He's got it, and Jamar Chase on the deep ball for the touchdown. From the 24, on first down, a big hole for Achan, still going, down the sideline. Devon Achan will take it all the way. Yeah, there was not too much the Giants could do last week when faced up with that Miami Dolphins offense and Devon Achan. Now, the bad news for Miami with their stellar rookie running back out of Texas A&M, the third-round pick, Achan, IL, he's going to be out for at least four weeks. So Miami's going to be without that explosiveness. Now Raheem Mostert, they'll have the ability to fall back on him. He's had a nice season as well. But that's a big loss for Miami. And what you saw last week was a Miami team that wasn't at its best, and just a straight-up better team than the New York Giants on paper and as constituted when they line up 11 v. 11. But you saw a Miami team that, outside of some mental errors and brain farts, were able to hang on for a two-score victory. You look around this league, there haven't really been, outside of the San Francisco 49ers, more on that in a second, the dominant teams. You know, why can't Miami, even with the injury to HN, be considered a legitimate threat? And I think they are. I think people are starting to uh, be aware of that, even with their only loss to Buffalo being by 20-some-odd points. This is a legit Miami team who's got a multitude of ways they can beat you on both sides of the ball. Look, the Giants are a disaster, particularly up front. And it got so bad after 10 sacks the week before and another nine against Miami where Daniel Jones hurt his neck. And you don't have to be apologetic for Daniel Jones. I'm not saying that. Kid needs to play better. Right, I think J- Daniel Jones is a really good quarterback on a good team. I don't think he's the type of guy that's going to take you know, a rugamaroo and make a championship team out of him. Seldom would. Pat Mahomes would struggle behind this Giants offensive line. Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, as upright as he was and as tough as he was, 
which struggled. Donovan McNabb, Warren Moon, throw them all out. Dan Marino, Joe Montana. This Giants offensive line is the worst I have ever seen in my lifetime. The worst I have ever seen in my 37 years on this here earth. And they've had bad lines. Giant fan or football fan, you know that. This group is a complete dumpster fire. And they got their quarterback hurt because of it. And you saw how bad the line was. You can be hard on Daniel Jones. I won't be hard on you for being difficult on him. I get it. But Tyrod Taylor took a freaking beating too. And now Daniel Jones is out Sunday, which the NFL's got to be kicking itself that the Giants had been so bad in this that this is the Sunday night game with Buffalo being a 14-point favorite at home on Sunday night against a Giant team that has a slew of injuries. Andrew Thomas not going to play again. Daniel Jones out. Tyrod Taylor under center. And again, I'll say it, he took the beating after Jones left. Weak running game. You don't have an alpha dog on the outside. Darren Waller's been on the injury report. John Michael Schmitz, a good-looking young center, but he's been banged up. This is going to be a bloodbath on Sunday night. Good for the Bills. Put one in the win column there, barring what would be a complete disaster and internal failure. If Buffalo doesn't win Sunday night against the Giants by three touchdowns, it's a win for the Giants. Because God only knows what they're going to put out there. They've made moves up front on that offensive line. It's not even close to what it needs to be. And I'll say it for the third consecutive week. This is four coaches and two GMs. Since the end of Tom Coughlin, after that end of Eli Manning, that you can't figure out how to get a competent offensive line that is not going to get a quarterback killed. This is a neck injury for Daniel Jones. This isn't a joke. This could be week after week after week of the same stuff. And he's had the problems up there before. We know this. Now, for the ones who rag on him, I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it because it's in there contractually. If you hate Daniel Jones so much, and internally there's been rumblings about the differentiation and opinion between what some people think about Daniel Jones, i.e. Brian Dable, and what others might think of him, a la Joe Shane, you can get out of the Daniel Jones four-year, $40 million a year contract after two years if you want to save face. But right now, this is a borderline unwatchable team, and they're flirting five games in. Where are the wins coming from after Buffalo? You got Washington and the Jets at home. You're going to tell me the Giants, especially without their starting quarterback and an offensive line that can keep them upright, are better than the Commanders and the Jets? No. This is problematic in the worst way. And the thing that really irks me from a Giants perspective is everything that went right last year, I don't think last year was, was a mirage. That was a good football team, and they brought back a lot of good. Now, I know they drafted two corners that are starting on the outside, and this giant defense, folks, has played well because it is a very good unit, a unit that is rotting because the offense is such a disgrace. Now, does that mean that they couldn't have done a better job 
without the cap flexibility of using draft capital, maybe on the offensive line outside of John Michael Schmitz? I think so. If they don't know by now, the focus has to be improving the offensive line. I mean, nobody's watched more Giant games than me. I, when they lose, I take it personally. It doesn't just ruin my night. It ruins the entire week upcoming for me where I don't, I don't watch sports. When my teams lose, I don't watch sports, sports Center. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You all do it. I can't watch Sports Center highlights. It ruins it when my teams lose. Notre Dame being the number one. I can't. It makes me sick to my stomach. It actually makes me nauseous, which I know is pathetic to those who think it's pathetic, but us fanatics, it's a brother and sisterhood. We get it. I don't even get mad with this Giants team because outside of having a lack of talent and outside of getting a lack of production from the quarterback, when he does have time, and I'm referring to that horrific pick six against Seattle that should have got him benched, quite honestly, because it did basically cost them the game. And Daniel Jones, for, for the detractors, looked 100% right there. This team doesn't look prepared. They didn't look prepared week one against Dallas. They didn't look prepared when they went on the road in Arizona. They came back because Arizona's so lousy. It might be the only team in the league that's worse than the Giants. And that's what irks me the most, is that this team did not look prepared. Maybe it was a situation of overconfidence. Maybe it was partly a situation of reading your press clippings. Whatever it was, it's not working. And now you had the tag invested in Barkley. He's not playing. You slap your quarterback with 40 mil a year, which I supported because you can get out of Dodge after two years. He's not playing. And the simple fact is that no matter who you put back there, if you can't keep them upright and ask New York Jet fans, they're going through the same damn thing with all that talent they have. The two worst offensive lines, and you can throw the Minnesota Vikings and Denver Broncos into this, might be the New York Giants and the New York Jets. And then if you break that down even further, in the worst department is the Giants and everyone else. And this is solely, solely on the fact that this ownership did jack shit about it when they moved on from Tom Coughlin. I'm going to have to flag this episode now as vulgar. Didn't do anything with Coughlin. I'm not a guy that's going to hammer Pat Shermer because I think he's a damn good coach. You didn't do anything there. You didn't do anything with Judge, and you haven't done anything with Dable. This is ownership. You want to bring in new GMs post, of course, Jerry Reese rebuilt the offensive line. What the hell happened at the end of his tenure? Then with Gettleman, now with Shane. And this is the product that you put on the field every week up front with the defense that they have. You give that giant defense to a Kansas City Chiefs team, to a Dallas Cowboy team, to a Miami Dolphin team. They're going to win a hell of a lot of games with a defense like that. And the fact, the simple fact is, people who don't watch the Giants every week will think the entire team sucks when it's the complete opposite. And that's shameful. And that is directly on John Mara and Steve Tisch. It's disgraceful that this continues to happen. And now you have one quarterback who's probably another hit up high again from potentially having serious, serious, serious physical problems. You don't have to like Daniel Jones, but it's reprehensible 
what he's been thrown behind. And it's unforgivable. Unforgivable. It's a joke. That they have not been able to put anything competent there to protect that kid. He has to be better, yes. You can't convince me otherwise. Go back and watch the Dolphin game. Look at what happened with Tyrod Taylor out there. How do you think the likes of a Mahomes, an Aaron Rodgers, a Zach Wilson, uh, Kirk Cousins, anyone you want to put back there would do? And he leaves with a neck injury, and you don't hear anything from upper management about it. It's a disgrace. When you have other players on other teams in your own division, and I'm talking about Micah Parsons, saying that what he's going through is problematic and he doesn't get pulled from games. Now, he should have been pulled from the Dallas game for safety. He should have been pulled from the Seattle game for incompetence. And he never came out of the Miami game until it was too late and he walked off the field with a neck injury. Now we know he's not playing. I don't understand what the management who operates this Giants franchise doesn't see. Because that could have been really bad last week. And you saw the look on Brian Dable's face. A look that probably, in his mind, was thinking and saying a lot of what is coming out of my mouth now. That just can't happen, and it has continued to happen with the Giants. They got away with it last year. And oh, by the way, you've got a kid in Nick Gates who's playing well in Washington. Didn't re-sign him on the offensive line. John Feliciano comes from Buffalo, plays well at starting center. Don't resign him in the offseason. So an element of negligence and a lack of scouting and competent, uh, competent coaching. To me, that's fact, what I've just said. This is the worst offensive line I've ever seen this franchise have, and it's a dangerous one. Will Beatty, Shane Lemieux should not be in the National Football League. They are that bad. They are that terrible. Josh Izzuto last week almost got Daniel Jones killed. What do you think is going to happen Sunday night against the Buffalo Bills? I'll say it again. If Buffalo doesn't win by three scores, it's the greatest coaching job Brian Dable will ever do in his life. And there's no change in sight. I didn't think on paper the Giants were bad enough to be the worst team in the league, but you can firmly put them in the Caleb Williams hunt if that's the route you think the Giants want to go. Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Drake May. Consider them all because it's on the table. With that, we'll get into a little Jets talk, and right on time, Joe Jett, our buddy, uh, let me let him into the room. He's going to be on the line with us momentarily. And I'm sure he's going to echo a lot of what I said because Joe watches as much football as anybody and not even from a Jet perspective. I can't believe what I've had to watch the last couple of weeks with this Giants team and hear nothing outside of the likes of Brian Dable continue to regurgitate the same stuff over and over because he's running out of stuff to say. What more would there be to say about this Giants team? Now, next year, cap flexibility, that opens the door to do a little more. You don't have that alpha wide receiver. That didn't help you coming into the offseason, the lack of funding. 
Bobby Okereke, nice signing. Had a nice game last week against Miami. He's starting to come into it. When you talk about your last outside of Schmitz, you go the draft route, and we can get back to the cap situation, which they'll have more of next year. But this looks like it might be a total swing and a miss with Evan Neal. And there has been no indication that there might even be a small sample size of trying him at guard. Which is another thing I don't understand. Maybe it's not for us to understand. But there's a lot of times, and this is why I I like to give, when people call, I like to give them their airtime. Because there's a lot of times where fans say things and they get poo-pooed by the powers that be. Because they don't think fans, just from a watching perspective, can't be intelligent enough to see what's happening in front of them. Well, if you understand the game, there isn't that much different to it. No, I'm not in the locker room. No, I don't write the plays. But I damn well know that Evan Neal is not doing the job he was intended to do when he was drafted with the seventh overall pick in the National National League football draft. I know that. I might not know everything, but I know that. I know that you can't throw Josh Izudu out there unprotected. I know that. What... What more do you need to see where we don't have to watch Shane Lemieux trot out there or Mark freaking Glowinski? It's absurd. And and there's no change to this. And while we wait for Joe, we got Vin on the line. Vin, what's up, man? What's up, Pete? How are you? Good, dude. What's going on? Nothing, uh... That offensive line might be the worst offensive line of all time. Hey. That that number 75. With the Giants. Three three holding penalties, got beat every single time, and I don't know how they put Evan Neal on the field anymore. He's the most pass-aggressive football player I've ever seen in my life. He just doesn't like to get involved with contact. He's Vin, and I look, look, and I'm pretty open about saying these things. I don't root for people to get fired and losing their jobs and 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 harp on someone who might be quote unquote a bad athlete because they're doing something I just could never do. But there are times where you'll watch a replay or you'll see it happen live. And Evan Neal, Vin, there have been times where he's looked the complete wrong way. You're gonna get someone killed, and they've made no adjustments whatsoever. It is they infuriating blew. and it's insulting. Worst offensive line of football. They blew that draft last year because Kayvon Thibodeau is a way, he's a bust also. He stinks. You put any good offensive lineman on him, he gets nowhere near the quarterback. They could have had Christian Olave and Garrett Wilson with those two picks. They would have been set at wide receiver for the next 10 years. They're scouting the whole scouting department. Who's ever making these picks should be fired. Because I, you see what Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave have turned out to be? Studs. In Studs. year two. They went, they, they went at nine and like 13. Yep, okay? exactly. You got Evan Neal and Kevin Thibodeau at five and seven. Absolute horror show. I can't. Daniel Jones got no shot. He's got no shot to, to complete passes. He, they are on him like, like, like flies on shit. As soon as he drops back, you saw when Taylor came in. He almost got killed. He almost got killed. And you know what? The biggest thing that nobody's talking about, they miss Saquon Barkley. Okay? Pay this guy. Will you pay Saquon Barkley, please? I mean, do you agree with that? Not if he's not going to play. Not if he's not going to stay on the field. Well, he got hurt. It happens. But I'm saying, 
they miss him. They they miss his running. They miss his out of the bat. They miss his toughness. They miss everything about him. Wall is a dog. I don't care what anybody says. He's a stud. He's a great player, but he's a dog. He's got no fight in him. He's got no heart in him. He's got no nothing in him. They got this kid Wando Robinson. As soon as he gets hit, he gets knocked down. It's, yeah, look, they, it's 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 a problem up and down with with injuries and scouting and and again, and again it, it listen to, when I don't line, you can't play football. Yeah. What's that? Without an offensive without an offensive line, you cannot play football. Oh. You can't play football. You just can't do it. You can have Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw, yeah. Roger Starback back there. They'll all get killed. Caleb Williams comes next year with this offensive line. He'll be he'll be in a stretcher. It doesn't matter. You, you see what's going on with the Jets now? Zach Wilson's getting time. They're actually calling good plays for him, and the kid's growing up right in front of our eyes. The kid is going to be a good quarterback. You can see, you can see the maturity. I, I don't disagree the- with you. And again, and and it and it it's bad offensive line play there by the Jets, but there was adjustments yeah, made, and you don't see that with the Giants. To, they're starting to block. The best thing that happened to the Jets last week was that Beckton and Tomlinson got hurt because <laughs> the guys came in to replace them are doing a much better job. It's incredible, isn't doing, it? They're doing a much better job. They're running the ball good. This is this is the format they were winning last year when they were five and two with Zach. It's the same exact thing. Give it to Brees Hall, throw the passes when you got it, and you'll win. They were five and two with the same formula last year, and they went away from it in the Bears game. Yep. That's what destroyed them last year. That, that's they gotta keep this up. Zach is Zach is really starting. He's got Probably top three arm talent in the league, hands down. He has got a cannon, and he's start. You can see he's starting to see the field better. He's starting. Him and Garrett Wilson are developing something. Him and the tight ends are developing something. And Brees Hall is just a stud. You know, I, I was one of the guys. I was wrong. I didn't think he could come back this soon from ACL injury, but this kid is. He reminds me of a combination of Billy Sims <laughs> and uh, and maybe Bo Jackson. I mean the speed. The speed he has when he hits. Maybe Billy Sims, O.J. Simpson, and, and Bo Jackson. This kid's got it all. He is. He is phenomenal. Garrett Wilson's phenomenal. And they're gonna. I'm telling you. I. I honestly think the Jets are gonna make a run at the playoffs. I well, really we'll do. See. And you know what? You know what? You know what's, You know what's happening? I want to say one more thing. You know what's happening with yeah. this team? When Zach starts playing good, the defense just takes it to another level. I can see the defense. And they should shoot. They're playing up. They're playing up. I'm telling you, they could shut down Jalen Hurts this week. I'm calling the Jets win against the Eagles this week. Well, we'll see. I mean, listen, and, and Vinny, as always, thank you for the call, brother. Um, but yeah, listen, the, the Jets have an opportunity here now coming off a, a, an emotional road win to really solidify the path, even without Aaron Rodgers, that the fan base want him to be on and thought they'd be on. And you talk about that Jet offensive line. Yes, sure, probably over-exaggerating a little bit with what I said earlier, but it's not a good offensive line. And the question with the Jets was coming into the season, where would the depth be coming from? Should people get pulled for lack of production or injury? And now it's the Jet reserve players on that line that are coming in, as Vinny said, and making the difference. And it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting thing. The Zach Wilson stuff, I'm not ready to fully dive in to the deep end of the pool. I'm just not there. But the talent and the weaponry, I can get on board with it. I can see that. They do have talent. All right, we got Joe's with us. Joe, what's up, man? 
Hey, Peter, how's it going, man? How's everything? What's going on? Uh, not much. And boy, wow. You know, listening to the Giant fans, uh, yourself and Vinny, it's like the tables have turned, sounding like Jet fans. Used to with the bad drafting and the Evan Neal and who we could have took. You know, the bad GMs. It seems like, wow, I've I've sung this song many a times in my Jet career, believe and, me. And, and, and Joe, I, I don't want that to be taken where as, as me saying, you know, get rid of Dable, get rid of Shane. That would be absurd. But there has to be something done internally where through, yes, the last four head coaches, your last two quarterbacks, I'm not talking about the Taylors, I'm talking about Eli Manning, now Daniel Jones, and two GMs that you have not solved this offensive line problem. It cannot be that difficult. Dallas drafted well, and they had an offensive line for a decade plus. You can do it, and they have not. It has been a systemic failure by the organization. Yeah, I totally agree, Peter. And, I mean, you follow them a lot more in depth than I do. And But, you know, when I watch them play, it's scary. I mean, they're... They, they're like college kids. looks like they have college kids trying to stop pro linemen from coming in. And it's a wave, and it's scary. And, uh, listen, guys are in trouble. And when, when that whole – it's like everybody on – there's no one good up there. Yeah, it's and, horrible. You know, the Giants, yeah, the Giants, like you say, they're in for a uh, – uh, this game against Buffalo, this could start to get ugly early. And, and who knows? We'll see and wait to see what happens. What do you think with the Jets this week? You got you give them a shot? Absolutely. I, I absolutely give them a shot. Uh, you know, when you have a defense that we do, you know, the Jets are number two overall in a red zone defense. So the Jets will give up yardage, but they tend to clamp down when the other team gets into the red zone. So they don't allow a lot of points. They keep you around. And, um, you know, and we'll see. Look, here's the bottom line, Peter, with the Jets. Here it is. Yeah. It's very easy. The Jets have trouble scoring in the red zone. Whatever they want, 0 for 5 last week. You know, they got to depend on a Brees Hall to get a 40-yard run or hit Garrett at the 30-yard line and let him run yeah. to the end. You know, that you can't live on that. You, when you get to the 12-yard line, you got to get that ball into the end zone. And the Jets usually settle for three, and that's how you end up on the losing end of games. As a Giant fan, I'd take three. <laughs> I'd take three and run with it. Right. But right. I agree. Yeah, and and that is going to be. And again, that from my perspective, and and I and it, there's development there. We said it even when Rogers went. I we we had said. I believe you and I had the conversation. If disaster strikes, there is an abundance of talent on this team where you can stay head above water. Now at two and three, that Rogers goes down. You're probably you're thinking zero oh and five with the Jet fan mentality, right? But here they are, two and three. If you can find a way to pound that ball from the 30 and in and turn three into six against an Eagle team that you can get to on the back end of that defense with the way this Jets defense plays with their aggressive get-after-the-quarterback football. I, look, this is, you know, I've changed my tune when I was thinking about this earlier in the week where I thought it was just going to be a Philly hammering. I don't feel that anymore, but this is a big opportunity for Zach Wilson here against a very good championship caliber uh, Philadelphia team. And he's going to have the Jet fan base at his back. 
Uh, there's no doubt about it. We'll all be there. We're getting ready for it. It's a big game. You know, we've never beaten the, the New York Jets. Have never beaten the Eagles in their history. They are. Isn't that crazy? They are zero twelve against the Eagles, if you can believe it. So, uh, but you know what, Peter? I still can't get over the Jets losing that Patriot game. To this day, that was three <laughs> weeks ago. It still bothers me. And seeing how bad the Patriots are losing yeah. that game at home is still irking me to no end. I I, I understand it, but look, all's forgiven this week if you're able to take one uh, at MetLife against the Eagles because you, you, you've got an opportunity here. You, you, Miami, Buffalo, you know, New England's probably out of this team. They've got their quarterback woes uh, on their own. You know, you're probably not thinking division at this point because of how good Buffalo and Miami have been. But that being said, one of the Jets' two wins is over Buffalo. So you take this a week at a time, and it it starts Sunday against Philly at home. Hey, it's a brand new season if you get back to 3-3 and with two impressive wins on your resume. Right. Three, it would be 3-3, three and three, Peter, going into the bye for the Jets next week. Yeah. Then, then we have the Giants. Win. <laughs> and then, we, then we, host, <laughs> we host the Chargers at MetLife on a Monday night. And trust me, I am not scared of the Chargers whatsoever. Potential playoff a, matchup. Right. They're a softer kind of a team that if you have an aggressive team like the Jets have, I'll welcome that game at MetLife. But we'll worry about that when we get to it. We have to worry about this week. And I can't sell Philly short. They were the NFC representatives. Look, they're a great football team. They run well. But, yes, they're not invincible. We no. can get at them. Listen, enjoy Sunday. I'm with you. I'll be thinking about you. Appreciate the call as always. That's the great Joe Jet. Joe, thanks, brother. Thanks, Peter. All right, man. I'll talk to you. Look, look, it's it's going to be a good weekend of football unless you're a Giants fan. <laughs> Let's face it. If you're a Bills fan this weekend, Sunday night, 820 rolls around, yeah, you, you, you're licking your lips. You're, you're ready to roll uh, because it's going to be one of those games you would think, barring complete, complete, utter disaster for this Buffalo team, if they don't absolutely kick the you-know-what out of the New York Giants. All right, let's get into uh, the weekly picks here. It started off first in the I went KC the next game, and there was no reason not to fight the next game. I've had enough of the next game. All right, we got Baltimore going to the next game. The game for how Baltimore looks at against the next game. The crowd. I don't know about who Baltimore in this game. And it's really good in that There's not enough there. At home, in Carolina, man, has to develop this right on I mean, these are rookies. We've had a crowd that can go through it. All the rookies generally will go through it. But the development process for Bryce Young in Carolina has been exponentially slower than what you're probably accustomed to. They go to Miami. Even with A-chan, without A-chan, give me Miami big. And give me fellow Florida mate Jacksonville over Indianapolis. This is a Jacksonville team that was slow out of the gates, playing better football of late. I like them over Anthony Richardson and the Colts. Minnesota is a train wreck, and they will not have Justin Jefferson for at least a month. 
They go on the road to Chicago, who is also a train wreck, albeit a different kind. Chicago's coming off first win of the season, 40 points they put up against Washington. I think they get two in a row. Minnesota's a mess. Kirk Cousins drops another one. Minnesota goes to 1-5, and Chicago goes to 2-4. Saints go to Houston. San Francisco goes to Cleveland. Give me the Saints, and give me the Niners. Bar none, the best team in football, San Francisco. Everything about them after they rocked Dallas a week ago. That's a good Dallas Cowboy team they beat, and they made them look silly. Next four games, I like the home team. Seattle goes to Cincinnati. Give me the Bengals. Give me Joe Burrow and company. T. Higgins still listed as questionable, but I'm going to go with the fighting Burrows. Washington goes to Atlanta. Give me Rattler and Co. I like what Atlanta's starting to develop here on the offensive uh, on the offensive side of the ball. There's the plan here. You've got Bijan and you've got some weapons on the outside. Let's see how that goes. Let's see how Atlanta continues to develop with the young quarterback. I like him over a Washington team that's reeling. Washington can't get out of its own way right now. We saw that last week against Chicago. I think Atlanta knocks them down. Patriots are a disaster. They go to Vegas. Vegas is going to pound them. And then Arizona goes to a better-than-thought Rams team. Puka Nakua, probably the leader in the clubhouse for the NFL Rookie of the Year at the wideout position. You got to go Rams in this one. Yeah, I think it's fairly simple to say you're comfortable with the Rams over Arizona this weekend, but crazier things have happened. And again, I'm in a pool, a, a straight-up pick em, outright money line pool every week. I make these picks. These are my outright, not covered the spread, win the game outright picks that I'm giving you. Detroit goes to Tampa Bay. I love this Lions team. I love everything about them, from the coach, the way Goff is playing, the weaponry on the outside. He's got toys at his disposal, very similar to what Patrick Mahomes has in Kansas City, albeit now Travis Kelsey breaking down a little bit at 34 years old after the beatings that he's taken. Detroit looks like they've taken that next step. I like them to beat a Tampa Bay team who's played well this year. This will be a quality win for Detroit on the road if they're able to go to Tampa and take down Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers. Philly goes to the Jets. You know, that Jet fan base is going to be raucous for this one. And Philly travels well. This is going to be one of those games where this Jet fan base knows what's at stake. You've got an opportunity to get back to 500. You're riding the emotions of the impressive victory over the Denver Broncos last week in the mile high. Pick six to seal the deal late. I'm going Philly here. But I think closer than most expect. I'm going to go Philly, but it's close. Giants go to Buffalo. It's the Sunday night game I'm afraid to watch. Tyrod Taylor on the center. God bless you, dude. I've been a fan of his for his career. You saw what they presented last week on that offensive line. No Danny Jones. He's out with the neck injury. The severity of that, I guess we truly do not know. But he is not playing Sunday. Taylor gets to start. Buffalo by 1,000. Dallas goes to the Chargers. That's the Monday night game. Look, this is a good Dallas team. You know, I know we, we've had some conversation about this Charger team 0-2 out of the gates, but they're playing better lately. I like him at home against Dallas Monday night. Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, if he's ready to roll it 100%. This is a good charge for the team. And I think they take care of Dallas Monday night. So that's the week six whip around. Uh, those are the picks I'm rolling with. I do this every week 
right? You can always chime in, uh, reach out on social media, uh, share your thoughts and, and submit your own picks that we can discuss as we go through. Obviously, I take live calls every Friday starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's a big week in the NFL, and we're going to learn a lot about a lot of teams. We'll learn a little bit more about Detroit. Hey, Tampa Bay comes out with a home victory over the Lions, and that's a little more insight into maybe this Tampa Bay team is pretty legit. Now, I like the Lions, but I think it's going to be a good game. I really do. So we can learn a lot. The New York Jets. Jets come out of there with a victory at home this weekend over a Philly team who was a couple plays away from winning the Super Bowl last season. Well, what's that say about the Jets, even without Aaron Rodgers? So there's a lot on the line uh, this week, and it's going to be real good stuff. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Hartman. Intercepted. Devin Neal on the return. And they're taking down Hartman again. Fourth sack of the night. Cook throws one. And it's intercepted. House call for Major Byrne. And LSU is going to escape Columbia with a win. Now, you all know, as followers of the show for as long as you've been, that nothing makes me happier than now when two teams specifically lose. Number one, the Dallas Cowboys. So I enjoyed nighttime weekend football a week ago with the thumping of the Niners. And lately, when LSU loses. If you caught the end of that LSU-Missouri game last week, that was a very impressive victory for the LSU Tigers over the Mizzou Tigers, who had played well entering that contest, sealing the deal uh, with a late pick six a la New York Jets in Denver. Uh, week seven brings another huge slate of games. And the biggest game, you got four contests this week, number one, that feature ranked opponents. The biggest of that is the seven versus eight matchup. 5-0 and Oregon at number eight in the country goes to 5-0 and Washington, number seven. It's a 3.30 p.m. on the East Start. ABC anchors the coverage Saturday. All the talk is going to center on the quarterbacks, and it should. Michael Penix is the leader in the clubhouse, probably, right now, for the Heisman Trophy. Bo Nix for Oregon, the transfer from Auburn, is another legitimate Heisman candidate. And listen to this. This will be the 115th meeting between Oregon and Washington. Until Saturday, they will have never played as top 10 opponents. They've met 114 times. At one time, were they ever, not one time were they ever ranked inside the AP top 10. That changes Saturday. And this is the first real contest for both teams. I mean, you look at what Oregon's done across five games. They've scored at least 38. Washington has posted at least 31 or better in five victories. Outside of being a Notre Dame fan, my favorite player in the country is Michael Penix. He's a yard away from already at 2,000 passing yards this season. He's accounted for 16 touchdowns through the air against just two picks. I mean, this kid brings everything you want to the table from a quarterback perspective. He's mobile. He's intelligent. He's got a monster arm. And he just knows how to win you a football game. And Romo Dunza, his best receiver. You got to watch this kid play. You want to talk about size, speed, and agility? He, kid's got it all. 
this is going to be, I mean, it's it's the college game day for ESPN. It should be. It's the feature game on the schedule. It should be. And you'll watch Knicks, the veteran, go up against another veteran in Penix. I mean, the opportunity this presents for both teams in Washington on an afternoon in October. Playoffs very much on the line with this contest. With both teams outside the top four at seven and eight, Washington at seven, Oregon and eight. I think it'll be everybody's expecting a shootout. You might get that. We're not going to get, at least I don't think, in my opinion, a 48-46 game. I think you'll get a game in the 30s. But I think you'll see a couple of defense defenses who have been on the back burner as compared to their offensive counterparts. And for right reasons. you got two teams that are scoring basically 35 points a game. In Oregon's case, more. I think Washington wins the game. I think you'll see points, but I think you'll see better defense than what has been presented in the buildup to this game as well. You got another good one uh, on ABC after that, the 7.30 Eastern time start, Miami and North Carolina. Now, this would have been a contest between two undefeated teams, and Miami did some of the dumbest things you'll ever see to end a football game, similar to what Notre Dame did against Ohio State, quite honestly. Just brain fart after brain fart. Miami drops to 25 in the poll. They're 4-1. They go to North Carolina, who's 5-0, number 12 in the country. This is a Miami team coming off a horrendous loss to Georgia Tech, a fumble in the final minute of play where everybody in the universe, my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, would have known that all you got to do is put a knee on it. And they fumble to freaking football. The Yellow Jackets get it back, and they score with one second remaining to win the game. Miami, instead of being 5-0, dropped to 4-1. Now they got to go on the road to play another Heisman contending quarterback in Carolina's Drake May, who to this point has already thrown for over 1,600 yards and eight scores. And you got guys in the backfield and on the outside. Omari and Hampton patrols the backfield for this Carolina team. You want to keep an eye on him. Watch this game, folks. 7.30 Eastern on ABC. It's going to rival the 7.30 uh, and 8 o'clock games. But this will be a good one to follow. And then you got Nate McCollum, who, in my opinion, is one of the most fun wide receivers in all of America. Easy to be, easier to be, I should say, when you got Drake May throwing you the football. But this kid McCollum's the real deal. I like North Carolina in fairly convincing fashion at home under the lights in front of the Loyalists uh, down on Tobacco Road. UCLA 4-1, and one, number 18, goes to Oregon State at number 15. You think about UCLA, you think about what? You think about points, and you think about points in bunches. Then you go to the paper and the stats and the box scores, and you see that this is a UCLA team that is winning with defense. Now, quarterback Dante Moore has played well, and if Oregon State's able to hold him at bay, as I expect they will, they'll have an opportunity to win the game at home. I like Oregon State to win the game, but this UCLA team is holding folks to just north of 12 points per game this season. Nobody's put up more than 20 on them. Here's D.G. Oyungalele, who had his best game last week, five touchdowns and a 52-40 victory over Cal. Again, Oyungalele is the, the transfer from Clemson, and he's under center for Oregon State. Five and one, number 15 in the country. They'll have the Fox coverage at 8 p.m. I'm going Oregon State. It's close. UCLA's defense will ride that wave. 
but Oregon State's going to be a little too much to handle for this UCLA team as they get their sixth victory of the season. And then at 7.30 p.m. East Coast on NBC, you've got number 10 USC, 6-0, heading to South Bend uh, to take on a reeling Notre Dame team. Uh, number 21 in the country at 5-2 and two overall. The Irish have dropped two of, last, uh, two of its last three losses to Ohio State and Louisville. Uh, and they, they obviously defeated Duke on a, on a last-second run um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you, you look at this USC team. They've taken care of business this year on the offensive side of the ball, 52 points per game. And they defeated Notre Dame last year in SoCal, 38-27. Now, in the last five matchups in South Bend, Notre Dame's 5-0. and That's where the game is tomorrow. You've got the defending Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams, the quarterback for USC. He's completed over 70% of his passes. And here's where the X's and O's come into it, the metrics, the math, if you will, the strategy. Williams has completed over 70% of his passes. UCLA scoring 51.8 points per game. But now they'll get a Notre Dame secondary that's ranked fourth in the country in pass efficiency. The Notre Dame defensive backs are great in coverage. But they got butterfingers when it comes to locking up interceptions. We've seen that in a couple of games. Now, the question for Notre Dame Saturday night is going to be twofold. Fairly simply twofold. Can the Irish offense get back to giving the damn rock to Audric Estime? And I can't believe this is the second part of the question. Protecting the quarterback. Because Notre Dame has prided itself the last couple of seasons on legitimate tight end play and having a upper tier offensive line. But if you watch Notre Dame Louisville a week ago, Louisville smaller in height and weight pushed them around like they were stuffed animals. If that happens against the USC front four, that's fourth in the nation in sacks problem. So can you get back to giving the rock to number seven and protecting Sam Hartman? Because everyone from South Bend and scattered across the country, the Notre Dame detractors, as I like to call them, the ones who call themselves fans but really aren't, because as soon as the going gets tough, they look to be negative. Everybody's already starting to question Marcus Freeman. We're not even through year two, and you've started the blame game. Were there coaching lapses against Ohio State? Absolutely. Is that acceptable? Absolutely not. Were they just beat last week against Louisville? Yeah, you know what? They just got beat last week. I don't know that I'm going for it on 4th and 11 with nine-plus minutes. But I also think it's absurd that you're throwing the proverbial white towel in on this Marcus Freeman regime. Now, play calling's got to be better. I'm not calling a third and one uh, inside reverse inside midfield when I can turn around and hand it off to Audric Estime. I'm not doing things like that. So play calling's got to be better. But there's other coaches you can use it as a litmus test here that have to have have time to put their thumbprint here. Now, you're a stupid loss against Ohio State away from being 6-1. and You know, last week's loss to Louisville bothers me less than the Ohio State game because Notre Dame lost... Ohio State didn't win that game. Notre Dame handed it to them. Last week against Louisville, Notre Dame just got beat. Louisville's a better team. Big difference. But I'm already so sick and tired 
of the people wanting to get rid of Marcus Freeman already. No, I did not love the Jared Parker offensive coordinator signing after you did a quote-unquote national search and you stayed in-house. I'd like there to be some more noticeable accountability from a player perspective. Get in someone's face, yell at someone. You know, I know all of a sudden in 2023, we live in a fluff world where you have to pat everyone on the back and give them participation trophies and say, it's okay, do what you want, go to your safe space. But it would be probably beneficial for Marcus Freeman and some of the honest coaching staff to get in these guys' faces a little more, at least from the perspective of my seat. I think that's the fair argument. Now, across the last three games, Notre Dame's been abysmal on offense not even averaging 19 points a game. They're going to have an opportunity if they keep Hartman upright, which they should, with perhaps the best left tackle in all of football and Joe Alt, who was not good last week. And protection on the right side to expose a very weak USC secondary. You know, Sam Hartman was, was clean in the turnover department going into the Louisville game. All he did was account for three interceptions and two fumbles. That's a problem. And if that happens again, regardless of how bad the back end of this USC defense is, it's going to be a long night for Notre Dame. But if they're able to clean those things up, yeah, I do like Notre Dame to win this game. Oddly enough, at home, even coming off two of three losses and USC being undefeated, Notre Dame's the favorite. I think the Irish bounce back like they did with Duke from the Ohio State game and right this ship. There's big games on this schedule. A nice win over USC. Playoff is 99.9% out of the conversation, barring a miracle we've never seen before. No two lost teams ever gotten in. Plus, Notre Dame doesn't have a conference championship game. It's not going to happen. But you could build up some momentum going into the bye week before you come back with a 3.30 kickoff on the 28th against Pittsburgh, who's struggling. So this is an opportunity here. Yes, for the veteran Sam Hartman. Yes, for that Notre Dame offensive line. But even more so, for this coaching staff to put their thumbprint and say, hey, this these are our guys. This is our team. This is what we have to do. Let's go do it against our biggest rival. Irish do that. They win. I think they will. Give me the Irish. You got some other big games. Stanford, Colorado, for those listening live, Friday night, 10 o'clock uh, Eastern time start. Louisville, number 14 in the poll, goes to lowly pit. Uh, I, Louisville, I don't think there'll be too much of a letdown with Brom and company. I expect them to get that win. Ohio State at Purdue, not an easy place to play, but Purdue uh, not playing great football at the moment. Arkansas goes to Bama. Arkansas is in the midst of a grueling schedule, so expect Alabama there. Texas A&M at Tennessee, that'll be a fun one. And you got Kansas at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State can ruin a lot of parties here. Uh, with, with the way Kansas is playing, Kansas on the road in Stillwater, all right, that's going to be a fun one. So you've got all, that was my big four that I gave you, all right? Give me Washington over Oregon. Give me North Carolina over Miami. I like Oregon State over UCLA, and I like the Irish over the Trojans in a close one, assuming they're able to protect Sam Hartman a hell of a lot better uh, than they did last week in the loss at Louisville. Um, look, it's a big week. It was a big show because there was a lot going on. And this is the type of stuff you get uh, at this point in the year where sports becomes that must more bountiful and busy. There's something to watch every night. You move forward with every passing week, there's more to talk about in the NFL. With every passing week, all these contests in college football 
become all that more important as we creep closer and closer to those playoff rankings coming out. And that's where we'll be as the weeks and months roll ahead. Obviously, the preseason in the NBA is underway. The start of the NHL regular season is upon us as well. We'll get into all of it. There's going to be more on both sports as we roll along each week on SPWPJ. There was just too much going on with baseball and people cannot hope there this week. Again, thanks to all the callers who chimed in tonight. Uh, you can continue to roll with me on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeart, Samsung, and Google, and a slew of others. Just call up every week. Follows everything. The messages I received is great, right? Uh, Sports Today with Peter J. You can su- subscribe on all those platforms uh, I just mentioned. And on Podbean, I've got the old, the show website as well, um, which gives you links to past shows and everything that's happening uh, in the world of STWPJ. All right, stay locked in. I'll see you all again next Friday, October 20th, live right here at 7 p.m. on the East Coast. As always, have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Go. Irish. Sports Today with Peter J.